gentlemen and it's a pleasure to be here you sound infinitely better than you did last time you, the, <laughs> i got the, i got the headphones I, I read the uh i read the complaint and i took hunter's advice and i got the little light headphones plugged into the iphone so i've got hopefully more bars in my mouth in more places you sound fantastic it's just it's just incredible um my name's hunter hilligus and i run ratevegas.com and for our show today, we're going to do um, some most uh, some listener questions that we're going to get to in a minute. Um, but first off, I do want to start off with um, one sort of normal story, well, becoming normal these days, and that's the, uh, the February gaming win totals. Um, and of course, they were released, and they're down. Surprise, surprise. Um, Dave, you actually posted on your blog about this. Um, and I cited it. I cited your post on my blog, um, and you you actually stated that you think the RJ was downplaying the numbers in their analysis. Why is that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I looked at it. One of the things that I saw was a Baccarat. One of the first things I saw looking at the numbers was a Baccarat was down by more than fifty percent, which seems really bad and really suggests there's a huge problem with getting high end players to Vegas. So. About ten, for about 10 minutes, I'm like, wow, this is pretty bad. Then I said, wait a second, what about Chinese New Year? So I did some more checking, and it turns out the Chinese New Year was in February last year. was in January this year. So that's part of the reason. So I said, well, maybe it's really not that bad. And then I went back again. And, you know, if I can just interject, after reading that transcript somewhere, I just want to stop and say, you know, after every other word. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, I stopped again, you know. And uh, well, I can't do that forever. So I went back again and I said, well, let me look at the last three months, you know, the last quarter. And for that, it was down, I think, 35% or so. So no matter how you slice it and trying to say, well, they had an extra day in the month, you know, yeah, that skews the month numbers a little bit. But looking at the quarter, you can still see there's a real, I would think, some kind of organic problem in the high-end play on the strip because that just should not be down that much. And it looks like, you know, there was some growth in the penny slot revenue, but they added about 25% more penny slots and got only 18% more revenues from them. So I'm seeing some real trouble there at the high-end market. And I think probably, that it's it's bad news um, on the Strip. And if you look at the tourist markets in the states, South Lake Tahoe and others, they're, they're all getting hit by 20% or more um, a month. Now, I'm not in the business of defending the review journal. I would say that, but I would say that I don't know that it downplays it. I think what happens in, as a journalist, you folks who, and I, I wrote these kind of stories for, for four or five years, and um, I know what happens when you're in a streak of months where every month is more of the same, you know, maybe a little more, a little less than a prior month, but still continuing trends over six months, eight months, 10 months, you know, the first few months of a trend are exciting, 
But when you have, you know, last month was down 14%, this month's down 20%, you know, it does get to be sort of tedious. It seems like you're writing the same thing every month. And so it may be that the reporter who, you know, that the, the writer just didn't give it um, quite as much oomph as, as he should have. But I agree that I, I agree with Dave's assessment that um, it is a die. It was a dire month to me. The most significant thing when you look at the Las Vegas Strip, I mean, just the big number without looking at the games. And I, you know, I looked at the games, and certainly um, Dave's right that there is weakness in the high end and the baccarat play and in the in the and in the win. But if you look at the overall number for the gaming win to drop from 558 million to 427 in a year that now includes Encore. I mean, so you've added the best property or one of the best couple properties on the strip, granted maybe not as much capacity as, you know, some of the other big casinos, but still presumably pretty strong at the high end and it's still down 23.5%. I mean, what would it have been same store um, if you if you exclude those, you know, all those additional slots and games? I mean, it would it, it, it you know maybe it would have been down 28 or 29 percent. I mean, it's cataclysmic um, right now, um, and you know I think I think Dave is right. I don't think that the you know the the RJ you know should have taken probably a little bit closer look, but I don't think I, I you know just in defense of them, I think that you know that you get a little bit numb after so many straight months that are poor. Yeah, I can definitely speak to some of that kind of bad revenue fatigue. Because um, the, when the December, like November numbers, December numbers, and January numbers, the date that they came out, I had one or more TV people here to talk to me. So I started to think, well, geez, this is getting to be a habit. Every time the numbers come out, they want to do a story. So, of course, for this, I do this detailed analysis and everything. And I get one person to show up yesterday for Las Vegas 1 to do a story about um, possibly overturning the smoking ban in the bars. So I, all that preparation kind of went for naught, which is kind of funny. And it just goes to show you can never really judge which way the news is going to go. So definitely I think people are tired of that story. Um, but it's still out there. And, and it's getting worse. That's the thing yeah. is you're right. That's that's where you you are are so right, Dave, because it's the 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 downturn is accelerating both, you know, and not just on the gaming side, on the room rate side, on the room occupancy side, weekends and midweek convention business, you know, airline traffic. I mean, all of those metrics are just, you know, the, the, they are falling through the floor. And yet, you're right. There is some there is some fatigue, both for those of us who report on it and uh, and for the consumers who digest it. I think the problem too suggests that for Bach to fall by 50%, or even if you'd want to take the number for the quarter, which I think was 30%, said it's not that there's 10% fewer Bach players coming. You know, which you could say for the whole market. Yeah, there's 10% fewer people coming. Revenues are going to be down. As soon as they start coming again, though, the revenues are going to go back up. It seems that either there's a lot fewer high-end players coming or the ones who are coming are playing a lot less, which, again, suggests some real problems. Um, and just by comparison, Atlantic City re released their numbers today, and they had a pretty bad month, too. They went down by about 20% from the year before for March. So the numbers aren't really good anywhere. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I can't remember who I'm quoting now, but in one of these recent stories, they were talking about the situation in Nevada and and 
and combining that even with potential uh, city center problems, and they were referring to this as you know, sort of Nevada's Pearl Harbor. And uh, you know, it's, and I, you guys, did you guys see that quote? I can't remember. Yeah, that. I did. I thought that was kind of a. I thought that was a little bit melodramatic. I think. And I thought that that was kind of contradictory where that analyst was saying, well, it's too big to fail, but if it fails, then it'll be like a second Pearl Harbor. It's like, well, no, if it's too big to fail, then it can't fail. And so that kind of wasn't that logical. You know, I think the problem is that you've got to look at bringing, you know, even if Baccarat, if high-end play is down by 25%, let's just peg it at that, you're going to bring 4,000 more high-end rooms in the market. You know, that's a real problem. You know, those rooms have to come on the market. They have to open them. I'm just not sure how they're going to fill them. And well, and it's not just 4,000 rooms. Oh, yeah. That's you're right. talking Fontainebleau. You're talking 800 more rooms at the Hard Rock. You're talking about Planet Hollywood, Westgate, uh, Timeshare Tower with a 1,000 rooms. And then six months after after all those open, you have the uh, – you have Cosmopolitan with another couple style. I mean, it, it is a capacity <laughs> capacity nightmare, um, you know, because the supply side is already um, overwhelming the demand side, the demand side dropping, and uh, with all that additional supply, boy, I wouldn't want to be selling a mid market to low mid market room, um, you know, coming, you know, because. You know, you're going to have to be pricing below what Circus Circus used to sell for, mm -hmm. and uh, it's scary. But good for consumers, as our friend David Mickey always used to remind us. We should we should never forget that there is a there is a a, a silver lining in this story, in that um, in that consumers from around the country who have capital, those who aren't as adversely affected by the recession. This is their chance to, you know, get to Las Vegas, um, you know, have a first-class experience for, you know, a lot less money than you'd expect. Or, you know, somebody who maybe couldn't afford to come at all, maybe they can come and, you know, stay at a decent property. Um, so, you know, there is there is a good side, and perhaps when the economy gets better, you know, we'll have uh, sort of uh, um, exposed Las Vegas to some more people who will become recurring visitors. We hope so, and uh, you know, there's actually a question that uh, that we may get to from a, a listener that is um, along those lines. Um, I think that that said, let's try and get into some of these listener questions. Um, there's a bunch. I don't know how many we're going to get to, uh, but we'll try. There's some really interesting ones. Um, if your question doesn't get asked and answered, uh, we apologize. We'll probably do this again, and you can feel free to resubmit it. Um, I uh, picked out a few that I think would be interesting for discussion. I'm, I'm going to start with uh, with one actually that um, I know, Dave, you have a little bit of experience with. And, and here's the question: um, I was wondering if the guys on the panel had thoughts about an idea that a crackpot put together a few years ago regarding a five billion dollar, ten thousand room, five star, five diamond, two hundred and fifty acre resort called Moon. A website was created with virtual mock-ups of what would be in the moon-shaped three-story casino. VegasTodayandTomorrow.com has information, but I'd like to see what the panel has to say about it. And that question is from Kevin. So, Dave, I'm going to start with you because I know you've had a, you have a little bit more personal experience than maybe the rest of us on this one. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I forget when this was, and I can't find the blog post. Uh, this is back when I was blogging in the gaming.unlv.edu site. Um, <laughs> I uh, 
wrote a blog post about this thing. And it was really funny because a couple of days later I got an email and I was kind of ridiculing it saying, wow, that's like really not the best idea. And I got an email back from the, you know, um, inventor, impresario, whatever you want to call it, which I thought was really funny because I've never gotten an email from, you know, Sheldon Adelson, Steve Wynn or anyone like that who's actually built a casino, you know, even George Maloof, you know, I've never gotten an email saying, wow, you talked about my casino. So I thought it was really funny. And he was just assuring me, yeah, it's really, it's a totally um, above the board thing. And, you know, I'd really like to get some investors. And can you suggest people to talk to? And I'm, I said, no, I certainly can. And that kind of was the final nail in the coffin. Cause I'm like, okay, this guy's developing a $10 billion resort and he's asking me to find him capital. Right. That is probably, that means it's not going to happen. So that, that was just kind of, I thought that was kind of funny. It's like, if you have to ask how much something costs, you probably can't afford it. Right. I mean, if, if this guy needs help raising the, raising the cash, um, probably not too likely. And I know, you know, we less so these days, right. But there was this period where um, crazy new ideas were being floated all the time. And some of them had some degree of practice, you know, they were, there was actually some chance they might happen. But for me personally, I, I remember when this was um, floated and I, I probably put it in the uh, never going to happen insane, insane pile. Well, it's, it's funny. I, I covered that um, little presentation by the guy, and I shouldn't say it's a little presentation. He uh, rented space at the Four Seasons. He had built a hundred thousand dollar model of the property that was pretty expensive, you know, like a paper model, but it was really expansive. He had this video and gave all the members of the press a video. And I wrote the story about it. I mean, every single expert I talked to, and I don't remember if I talked to Dave, but I know I talked to uh, you know a bunch of. Las Vegas experts who all said, you know, in Las Vegas, you really have to put up or shut up. They said this guy was just running his idea up the flagpole to see if anybody saluted. Um, and my, uh, you know, and I've referred to it recently, and and so I always refer to this project, the Moon Project, whenever someone subsequently has proposed a big casino project that is ludicrous on its face. Um, in North Las Vegas, a couple of years ago, some group was going to build a collection of stadiums, sports stadiums that would have, you know, would be another $10 billion project with, you know, more than, you know, five or 10,000 rooms and a football stadium and a basketball arena and all kinds of, you know, crazy bells and whistles. And, you know, I referred to the Moon Casino um, and I always refer to the headline my copy editor, Matthew Crowley at the RJ, put on that story on about the Moon, um, which is one of the best headlines I've ever had on a story. It was sheer lunacy. And uh, because, you know, certainly my story was, you know, quite, uh, quite doubtful about the the prospect of the casino being built. And, you know, those of us who've been in Las Vegas for a while, you see these things all the time. I mean, the better, the better the times, the more of these things come out of the wall. We've had the Great Wall of China. We had the Caribbean, the Charles Hears, who ended up building the much um, you know, less extensive uh, Tuscany, originally planned the Caribbean Resort. We've had a couple Chinese-themed ones. We've had, you know, the London one on the site of the uh, on the site of what was then going to be the giant Crown Casino, the world's tallest building. Or whatever. I mean, you know, you 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 could count. You know, there's probably been you know certainly dozens and maybe scores 
of these, you know, all hat no cattle casinos. And this is just one of them and it never it never had a chance. Anybody with the money to build a casino is going to build is going to do their own concept. They're not going to like let some. And this guy was like a Vancouver eye doctor. He he or I he owned a, a series of eye clinics that had a bunch of uh a bunch of legal trouble. Um, he wasn't somebody in the casino business at all. He just thought, hey, I have this great idea and I'm going to get into an industry I know nothing about and sell my concept. I mean, you know, talk about throwing a hundred thousand and some dollars down the drain. It was, a, it was, it was amusing to us, probably sort of sad for him in retrospect. Yeah. He also, uh, he also tried to sell this thing to the Bahamas as well after I think he gave up on the Vegas thing. You know, it's almost like a Dubai sort of island in the middle of the water with this gigantic moon <laughs> sticking out of the top of the ocean. And he said that, you know, people in the Bahamas would never have unemployment again and everybody would be working and it's going to be the greatest thing. And he signed an agreement with the Bahamian government, actually, to... Uh, uh, I don't know what the agreement said. It just said, I guess we agree that you want to do this. But uh, <laughs> that, that fizzled out pretty quickly. And he was removed from his uh, – he was the CEO of a company that owned uh, like 30 or 40 different uh, LASIK eye surgery centers that eventually merged with another one, the TLC company. And he was actually removed. They kind of gave him the boot there. So people who worked for him before realized he was a bit of a crackpot. Well, it, you know, the, the it, way you just described it made me think of, like, some 70s era, like, James Bond villain's lair or something. It just sounds <laughs> so crazy. But, you know, it's definitely um, a fun topic to discuss. Uh, one one last question on the moon before we move on. They didn't have a site, right? I mean, this is just a complete, uh, just a, you know, insert site. Only a concept waiting for somebody with money and no imagination to say, you know what, I'll build exactly what you think. <laughs> right. Fair enough. All right. Well, sorry, Moon Guy. Hopefully, you'll uh, live to uh, fight another day. Um, this is our April, April Fool's episode joke or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, next up, here we have a question from uh, Mike DH. And here we go. It's a little bit of a long one, so here we go. What is the state of Harrods, and why do they resist selling Bally's in Paris? They need some capital to have breathing room again. And if they sold those two, they could still keep the streak of East Side property opposite Caesars that Loveman wheeled and dealed so hard for. There's a small market for strip property, and it's hard to make big modifications to Bally's without disrupting Paris. And Paris makes money despite being an uncool theme casino. This two-in-one property really needs an owner that isn't distracted with a half a dozen other hotels. The arena deal seems dead, and I don't think Harris has the stomach to do large implosions on Bally's anymore. It seems like a win-win idea to see what the market will give for them. Um, well, I'll just chime in really quick, and I'll say, sure, maybe that would be a good idea. But, you know, as we're seeing, I'm sure MGM Mirage would like to unload a couple properties too. Um, but the problem is they need to find people that have money to buy that are willing to buy at the price that they want to sell for. I mean, they don't want to – give stuff away in a fire sale unless they absolutely, absolutely have to. And the number, the, the list of people that can afford to uh, purchase one of these things right now is pretty small. Um, and does anybody, you know, have any thoughts beyond beyond that or want to expand on that? Well, certainly I, I agree with what you said, Hunter. I think that, um, that for, for 
and and if you look at the properties that Harris can sell in Las Vegas, I think uh, and Mike C H is a is a is a smart guy, and um, there's no doubt that they don't want to sell Caesars, they don't want to sell the properties and the land behind them on the east side of the Strip, uh, north of Flamingo. So Rio is left as the most likely sale candidate with Bally's in Paris the second most. Um, but I think that the problems you've already hit on are that they're competing with a lot of, of other properties that are for sale. You know, Bellagio, Mirage, probably Monte Carlo, although, you know, it's proximity to the city center I'm not sure about. Um, you know, certainly the property north of Circus Circus and Circus Circus um, and other land MGM Mirage owns in town. Plus, properties around the around the country you know it, it's just not it's just not that appealing um i don't think you know the problem with paris valleys another problem is it's sort of it's hard to imagine you know that that place can be i think i think paris can compete with treasure island um you know maybe you know probably maybe slotted in with MGM Grand although MGM Grand has some good stuff in there as big as it is but Bally's is like a sore thumb you know attached to it and two towers one of which is is uh older the one that Loveman wanted to implode um you know if you buy it it's a big project and it's really expensive to redevelop um and so people why spend a bunch of money on a project that half of it's going to need to be redeveloped pretty soon um, when you could spend the same amount of money and buy a, a much newer property. Um, like, you know, Mirage may not be as, may, may be older than Paris, but it's certainly a lot newer than Bally's. And, you know, I just, I just don't see the, the why anybody would, would want to buy it. Um, I, I, I do see why, why Paris might want to sell it. Anyone else, or we'll move on. All right, uh, I've got a quickie here from my my friend Jeff in OKC. Uh, it's, it's pertaining to me, so I'll uh, I'll take the answer. Does Hunter no longer enter the Imperial Palace because he is constantly mistaken for the Owen Wilson dealer tainer? Um, Jeff in OKC, uh, no, that is not the reason. I have plenty of other reasons to not enter the Imperial Palace. Um, uh, the Owen Wilson thing is a, sort of an inside joke. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I have any resemblance to the um, to the actor, but uh, there was a, a stretch of about six months where every time I went to Las Vegas, I would be mistaken for him. Um, so that's sort of where that came from. Um, but, you know, Jeff, I appreciated the question. It made me chuckle when I read it. So um, thanks for asking. That hasn't happened for a while, by the way. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe uh, <clears throat> maybe I, I look uh, too happy to be compared to the um, suicidal Owen Wilson. So who knows? But um, anyway. Uh, I've got a question here from Parched Earth. I think it's Parched Earth. I can't really read what I wrote here, but I think it says Parched Earth. Um, and here we go. What would be the financial criteria required for a casino to be shuttered? Just going into bankruptcy is likely not enough to close a property. I would think a negative net revenue with little chance of ever making a profit. This would require all sorts of revenue to be less than the ongoing operating costs. Okay, he starts to explain how accounting works. We don't, um, let's see, how does this change? The property is part of a larger company rather than a standalone property. Um, and then I can see it being easy for a large property to fail because of the maintenance costs. 
well, I can't answer specific accounting questions, but, um, you know, this is an interesting question, and I don't know if I know the answer. I don't know if there's a lot of precedent for something like this, and, and um, I don't know, Dave, maybe we'll start with you on this one. If, is there precedent for, for this sort of thing, a casino that's um, hurting very badly just to be shut down? Yeah, a couple of years ago, um, the Gaming Control Board came in with the marshals and shut down Binion's Horseshoe because they'd basically right. run out of money. And I talked to people in the Gaming Control Board, maybe Jeff got a better answer than I did, but I tried to ask them, well, how much cash do they have to have? And they just said, well, there's a formula, and we won't tell you the formula, but there is some kind of formula that says how much cash you have to have on hand to stay open. And if you fall below that criteria, you can be shut down. So I think as long as they have a certain percentage of whatever money is being wagered there to pay off winners, I don't think they can be shut down by the state. Whether the casino itself wants to shut down because they'll make less money being closed and being open, or more money being closed and being open, they'll lose less. Um, I don't know. But Jeff, do you, have you talked to anyone in the control board about this? Well, and and it's rare that the, uh, that the cash on hand formula um, would come into play only with a uh, a exceptionally poorly run casino like Binion's was in its final uh, final near decade um, was was that a problem? Um, the castaways, Vacation Village, um, those are examples of properties that closed because they couldn't do enough business. Um, the state did not close them; they were closed because they were losing money. And you know that well, that typically is going to happen um, for places that don't have a lot of revenue stream that can't make money on the room side. Um, but, you know, more often than not for a closed casino, they are, if, if you take debt payments out of the equation, which is what happens in a bankruptcy, you know, it would have to be a pretty pathetic casino not to be able to cover the cost of salaries, cover the cost of, you know, whatever they're, you know, if they have lease payments or whatever, but the cost of operation should be able to be covered by almost any casino, but, but there are, but it's not hard and fast. And there are some that certainly would be on my watch list. Um, I think the Western downtown Las Vegas um, is a, is a property that, uh, you know, certainly um, is probably testing its owners and um, I'd be surprised if it's making money at all. Um, I think there are, um, you know, on the strip, you know, it's hard for me to, you know, I, it's hard for me to say that any strip casino wouldn't may, wouldn't be able to cover the cost of its operations. But if room rates drop much more, um, then um, it may be, especially, you know, these places all have culinary contracts, fairly expensive, you know, labor um, and if, you know, they, they have to pay a certain amount to keep the rooms clean and stuff, there may be, you know, a point where they're not making any money on the rooms. And, uh, and you know, if they're not getting much business in the casino, you know, then they could then they could have to close. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, it, but you know, would it, would it shock me if it happened at Tropicana, if it happened at the Riviera, if it happened at um, the Sahara? You know, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, then there are some there are some circumstances where you can imagine a casino maybe shutting down part of its operation. Like for instance, Bellagio has their spa tower, and if their reservations drop precipitously, they could shut off that facility. And maybe more dramatically, I mean, uh, this I, you know, 
I can't. I think Wynn would be the last one to do something like this. But if things really got terrible, they could conceivably shut down Encore and move the guests next door and keep the casino and restaurants open. I mean, that would at least be possible within the realm of, uh, you know, reasonable outcomes. Hopefully it never gets to that point. And, and, and almost inconceivable that those good properties would shut down their newest places, whether it's Spa Tower and Encore. I think, you know, those places still generate so much money, and because they have to service debt, they're going to keep their, you know, the, the trouble rolls downhill in this kind of a market. Oh. You know, Wynn and Encore can claim, you know, they can, they, if they want, you know, and they said, originally they said, oh, we're going to get high occupancy no matter what. And then they realized that those kind of customers maybe weren't the kind of customers they wanted filling up their hotel. And they said, well, we'll, we'll keep rates relatively high. I think they're, I think they're doing both of those things as best they can, trying to keep rates as high as they can while hopefully not getting too low on occupancy. But the problem is that when Wynn does that, then Bellagio has to go a notch down. MGM Grand and Mandalay Bay have to go below that. And and pretty soon those folks at, you know, Circus Circus that were, you know, upset about having to lower the rates to 29 bucks, they're having to lower them to 19 or 15 or 10. And at some point you lose money every time you put someone in a room. Um, and that's not a that's not a good thing. Right. Well, you know, we talked about the numbers earlier in the call. Hopefully, um, we'll see an uptick one of these days. But uh, you know, it, it, Chuck, you you posted this the other day. What was the deal that you saw posted for Encore? Oh, gee, what was it? It was like it's like a hundred and nineteen bucks with a fifty dollar credit or something. Yeah, one nineteen. So one hundred and nineteen bucks for two. A night for two nights, and you get a fifty dollar credit for use in the restaurants or whatever resort credit. So you can use it mm-hmm. the spa or whatever. I mean that that's uh, a pretty amazing for a brand new top of the top shelf resort. I mean that's that's unbelievable. So, considering that considering that two years ago, had the property been open, it would have been pulling down two fifty a night midweek with no fifty dollar credit. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's a pretty big difference. Unreal. So going to cost, we have another question here. Um, I thought was kind of interesting. and, and it, it, uh, Well, I'll read it out, and you guys can tell me what you think. Um, this is a question from oh, – you know what? I didn't write who it was from, so I apologize. Um, you guys have discussed separately the incredible decrease in room rates, cost of flights, and other aspects of visiting Las Vegas. However, I'd like to hear a discussion on the overall cost of a Vegas trip and whether or not it truly is cheaper other than room rates. I made three one-week-long trips in October, December, and February, and each time found the cost of eating, drinking, and gambling to be relatively unchanged. Other than the the occasional fixed-price menu, which really is nothing more than a variety of smaller portions of the expensive menu items, most restaurants seem to be set up with food pricing. As far as gambling, table limits were still elevated, and they continue to cling to the horrible 6-5 blackjack payback. Also, $6 beers and $15 martinis were still prevalent. Most sportsbooks have implemented the ridiculous drink tickets with rather elevated limits to receive even a couple of tickets. So, after that long-winded preface, the question is whether Vegas has really gotten cheaper other than room rates and occasionally discounted show tickets. Um, This guy says no. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think. I'll give quickly um, my, my thoughts based on my last couple trips. Um, some, some things 
uh, have not yet fallen by the wayside, which um, I actually was expecting more places to bring back 3-2 Blackjack and use that as a uh, as as a promotional item. I haven't seen it as often as I would have maybe expected. There is still a lot of 6-5 Blackjack out there, which I know people that know about it hate it, and they think it's you know greedy and disgusting. Maybe there's enough people that don't know about it that it's, that it's not something that uh, would make an impact. Um, you know, the room rates obviously are, are way down. My own personal experience, um, you know, I've actually seen quite a few deals when it comes to restaurants and um, even stuff like drinks and bars. I mean, if I, I've seen even, you know, casino bars doing have, with happy hour prices for drinks, which is not something that uh, you see all that often uh, on the Strip, at least. Um, I can't really speak to airfare. Uh, the airlines are, you know, insane in their own way. Um, what, what do you, what, what do you guys think, Chuck? I mean, you 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 follow prices pretty closely for Vegas shipping. You're constantly posting stuff, and you talk to people all the time. Do you do you feel like? And you were just there. What, what do you think about this? Uh, I think that uh, there's you know there's a lot of great deals to be had. You know, downtown to me seems like the best play right now. Uh, some of the rooms are surprisingly expensive. I just stayed at the uh, the Cal for one night. Uh, the other day to, to see what that place was like. And uh, my room for one night was like $64, which was actually pretty high. But it is a brand-new room and totally re-rented and whatnot. But there's a lot of a lot of deals. When I was walking around with uh, some of the VT readers, uh, they kept commenting to me, they had been there for a few days, that uh, the drink prices at the bars are like peanuts. There's like nothing. You know, they'd go to the bar and get – you know, two gin and tonics, uh, uh, scotch, and a couple of beers, and it would come to like eight bucks. You know, they were just kind of astounded by that. Uh, you know, at, at some of the casino bars. I think when you're on the strip, you're probably going to see more uh, firmness in a lot of those prices for for things. But if you go now downtown, I think it's really a great value deal right now. I I, I would I would I think Hunter. You're right about clubs and bars um, that they, uh, a lot of them, you know, maybe they did have pricing power a couple of years ago or right after they opened. But, you know, I'm I'm hearing about people getting in and, you know, it's like they, they're, they're not crowded enough so that they they have the ability to charge for tables. There's open tables that nobody's using, and until they get to the place where there's enough people so that people have to stand, that's where they get the ability to start charging for tables. You know, and so if, if you want one of those really good clubs, it probably I still I think it is still a good time to you know save some money there. Um, restaurants, you know, they're probably not that discounted. And I don't think I think for certainly on the show front, you know, there are tons of shows that are discounting two for one tickets um, right now, um, not just for locals. Um, you know, there's a lot of ticket discounters and um, a lot of times, you know, casinos have a pretty empty house. They're more likely to comp people for tickets because those are going to, you know, if they're not used, they're, they're wasted. Um, and I think for, you know, you guys mentioned that six to five as opposed to three, two blackjack, you know, I think for most blackjack players, they think of that as sort of like the big wheel, 
in the front of the casino. It's only there to sucker people in who don't know any better. Um, And, you know, I mean, if you can find me a a legitimate casino in Las Vegas that doesn't have 3-2 blackjack, um, I mean, you know, they may put out four or five tables, you know, and they put the word single deck really big, like that makes a difference when it's six to five. But but there's 3-2 blackjack everywhere. It's just, you know, they're just trolling for idiots. And, uh, and, you know, so, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, there are some deals, um, and certainly for people who want to, you know, it's not like the gourmet rooms are going to say, you know, you're not going to go to Bellagio and go to prime or go to SW at win. And they're going to have a big sign on the door that says, you know, like 1999 New York strip steak, you know, that they're not going to discount, but if you're a, bargain hunting person and you want to go to a place you know there are options where you can get you know the gourmet experience or you know close to it at a reasonable price you can go to the canal street at the orleans you know the uh there are there are you know upscale restaurants in those hotels that aren't as expensive um there are deals that come along with your hotel room where they'll give you a 50 or 100 dollar food credit so, you know, I mean, yeah, they're not going to be discounted in the best rooms, but I think that, you know, if you if you come here, you're going to save so much on your hotel, um, and you should be able to save a little bit on airfare um, that, that you know, you, and, and depending upon how discount-oriented you are, you should be able to save on some other stuff too. So I would say that it's not as discounted certainly as rooms, but um, you can find some bargains. I agree. And, you know, Jeff, you mentioned the nightclub. And, yeah, I mean, I've heard from several people uh, about the deals that they're throwing out there. I mean, two-for-one bottles, all kinds of deals, throwing in a lot of free stuff. Um, Especially even, you know, clubs like XS, which is, you know, brand new and extremely opulent. Um, They're big. As as Mike E. said on the blog, I think he said overbuilt for two years ago. So that gives you an idea of, you know, the capacity that they have. And some of these places are trying to slash supply a little bit by not being open many as maybe as many hours, maybe cutting some nights here and there to try and reduce that supply a little bit. Uh, but there are huge deals uh, when it comes to that sort of thing, if that's what you're looking for out there. Um, so, you know, the poster, the uh, the guy that asked the question didn't seem to uh, think that it was a good deal out there, but I, I personally disagree. I think this is the cheapest you're going to see Las Vegas for some time um, unless we get to Cataclysm. And uh, so let's take advantage of it. That would be my my advice to uh, any listener out there that wants to go. This is your chance. Go now. Um, okay, so we have a next question. A question that per- personally, I you know, and I, I don't I don't mean this to offend the asker because this question comes up a lot. But personally, I don't think it's all that interesting. Um, the question is from Arthur. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking the group because it does come up a lot, so I'm probably wrong about it not being interesting. Uh, Wynn Resorts recently sold more shares of the company, gathering more hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, Steve Wynn insists he's not going to buy anything back from MGM Mirage, including Bellagio. Do you think Steve will keep his word, or will he buy something from MGM in the near future at these fire rocket? I think he means fire sale prices. Um, I, I don't actually know when Wynn is actually on the record saying he wasn't going to buy anything back. I don't really know if he... He was on the record. When, when Encore opened, he told a number of interviewers, including me, that he wouldn't. But he just told John Ralston, um, he's appeared on Face to Face yesterday and again today, 
and told Ralston that if the price is right, he would buy Bellagio or Mirage. I think he really means Bellagio. I'd be surprised if he bought Mirage, but he said if the price is right, um, and I've said this for a long time on this show many times, Bellagio allows him to maintain the the primacy of the brand. He he just own the best three properties in town instead of the best best two. Um, you know, it's it's a question. I'm sure that it's a price problem. MGM looks at the property and says, "Man, we got to get at least two billion for that." And Wynn is a smart buyer, and he knows they desperately need the money and desperately need it by October. And there aren't too many people who can step in and buy it and get licensed fast. So you know, Wynn is going to use all his leverage. Um, you know, if he, you know, he he probably you know might maybe he'd give him one point four, one point five. You know, who knows? But um, that's a property that makes sense, you know, because that allows him to try and protect Encore, Wynn, and 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 Bellagio against Aria. If for MGM to open Aria in their critical cash situation and um, cannibalize from Bellagio, it's tough for them. So I think that's a deal that makes sense. The question is, can they get somewhere between, you know, wins? I'm sure he's lowballing them, and MGM's probably, you know, going high. And somewhere in that sub two billion dollar mark is where the deal would get made. On MGM side, I'd have to think they'd be really desperate to sell it to him of all people, because they've just invested. $10 billion in creating this huge upscale casino and all the amenities, and then they're going to let the greatest upscale casino operator in the history of the business set up shop in a place he built right next door to him. I mean, to, right. and probably, yeah, I mean, that would, and certainly people who, even if they took the, even if they took the Bellagio's players list with them, I'm sure there's a lot of players there who would love to stay and play for Steve. <laughs> now they're already at win and encore anyway. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree with you, Dave. The psychology is hard to figure out. Is it worse to sell back to win? But you know, they, you have the problem of the, of the continuing um, viability of their company. I, I for one, have been saying for a long time. I think they want to sell all the Mirage properties. I think the people Jim Moran has always been an MGM Grand, Kerkorian loyalist. Um, you know, Lanny, you know, was very friendly with Win. I think Murren you know, may respect Win, but I think, you know, he's always sort of resented the idea that that company, what really made the company was its acquisition of the Mirage properties, Bellagio, Mirage, Treasure Island, Beau Rivage, and Golden Nugget. You know, they've sold off Golden Nugget, sold off Treasure Island, and I, you know, I think they want to sell Beau Rivage, sell off Mirage, and sell Bellagio. Um, and, uh, you know, but so you have the psych. Yeah, you know, there's a couple conflicting psychology things. Prove that they don't need the Mirage properties, or you know, do the, are, are they fearful of getting back into competition? You know, right in it with a next door neighbor. Um, you know, to be honest, if they really believe in City Center, and I think they do, and if they think that they're better operators than Win, and it doesn't maybe make sense, but I think they believe that too, then. Then I think you have this, the the setup for a deal um, that, that I think they would make. Um, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right that that will that that will give them pause. But I think it's a deal that's just you know it's it's a bargain away from being made. You know, Jeff, it, it, you you have mentioned that several times about that uh, your, your 
that uh, idea about them wanting to unload Mirage. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know these players like you do, but there's something, something about what they say leads me to believe that you're definitely on to something with that, and especially, you know, saying that maybe Mern is not crazy about Mirage acquisition uh, as being in people's minds as sort of the um, king-making of that company. Uh, I definitely get that vibe from some of his statements as well. No doubt about it. And judging from Chuck's review, it looks like they really haven't made housekeeping and those kinds of, you know, keeping the Mirage up a priority. But I'll yeah, defer you know, to Chuck on that. Chuck, Chuck posted a, a, a Mirage review from January uh, on VegasTripping.com that um, was critical about a bunch of housekeeping problems. And uh, I would encourage listeners to go check it out if they haven't read it already. Um, you know, my, my experience at the Mirage, uh, a place that I've stayed dozens of times, um, I, I actually stayed in one of their new room, new quote-unquote rooms in August, which was right after they finished the remodel. And I was in a, a, a smoking room. And, you know, sometimes smoking rooms smell bad, but you would expect a newly remodeled room wouldn't have had the chance to already be ter- terrible smelling. But it honestly smelled like they drenched the place in smoke. Like they hired people to come in there and smoke in the room to make it smell like terrible, terrible smoke. Yeah. It was unbelievable how bad, how strong it was in this room that was just, just newly remodeled. And obviously it's easy for them to, you know, cut costs in housekeeping to some degree, right? But Chuck, I mean... You're, you were you were even on the fence if you should even post the review. Yeah, you know I uh, I is that me distorting? No, you sound like me. Hear, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes, yeah. sir. All right. Uh, all right. I'm sorry. Every time I talk, all I hear is distortion. <laughs> um. So uh, yeah, I uh, I was on the fence about posting this review. I had just listened to uh, the MGM conference call, and they sounded so upbeat, and you know, and and things just going so bad. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, really, I, I love this town, and I love going there, and I don't really want to dissuade people from going because I had a really bad experience in a hotel room. So I posed the question to the reader: Should I post this or should I not? And everybody overwhelmingly said, post the review, you know, just do it, give them no mercy, who cares, that's it. So I posted the review, and in the process of writing it up, I realized, through looking at the photos and whatnot, that we had stayed in the exact same room that we had stayed in 16 months prior, the same room number, 12004, Then uh, that was the old room. Uh, shortly before they started doing 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 the redesign, so we experienced literally the same room in the old design, and it sunk, and it was kind of a mess, and there was all sorts of bust stuff. And then a year or so later, we stayed in the exact same room with all the new decor, and it still stunk, and there was still busted stuff, and it was dirty. So, you know, it, it was quite a, a shocking and weird sort of experience. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad I, I, I've shared it. You know, it took a, I, I had a bizarre and rare fit of Percy for MGM Mirage, but I got over it pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, uh, hopefully uh, it was a, an abnormal thing and they'll they'll fix it, but it was kind of gross. I mean, there's one, it's one thing to have a dirty room, and it's another thing to find, you know, human hair all over the room. Kind of, kind of you know, the one, one thing about 
in terms of maintenance and and uh, the the general upkeep of the property. Um, and and maybe you know MGM has been. I think they've acknowledged that they're they're reducing some of those expenditures in their desire to save money. Um, I don't think anyone has done that as much. Well, I'm not going to include places like the Tropicana and those places, but I think Harris has been the most egregious um, company in terms of you you go through their parking garages and it it it, it literally it's like driving you know through the apex dump. I mean, there, you, there's almost like a two-foot layer of, like, cups and bottles and glasses and, you know, s- spit cups from their snuff-chewing people. I mean, it is it is so disgusting. The floor of the garage in Harrah's, Imperial Palace, even Caesar's Palace. You know, you go to the Caesar's Palace garage, and not all of those levels are used as much, but it's just it's just unbelievable how disgusting it is. They're elevator banks. They'll have you know they'll have a bank of five elevators. Two of them will be out of service, or three um, escalators not working and not working for months at a time. Um, so. You know, I, I, as bad and, and MGM Mirage has let things slide. I'm sure, you know, you never would have predicted that a couple of years ago. But you know, they're pikers next to Harris, who is, you know, they have they have taken the art of deteriorating conditions to a a, a whole new league. Which is really ironic because back in the day, um, Bill Harrow was the one who had the idea that you had to give the customers this kind of homogenized, pleasant experience. And every time the customer came in, I mean, God, his they called the book about him, Every Light Was On, because he would obsess if a single light in the in the exterior of the building burned out, he'd want people fired. So, you know, he always demanded they had to have everything in tip-top shape. And so it's kind of ironic that that's a company that <laughs> – that lets that he, stuff slide. He'd be a babbling lunatic if he had to tour his company's properties today. I mean, he would, you know, you're you're absolutely right. That company has, you know, they just have so much debt and they just, you know, it's 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 really sad because uh, you know, I remember in the heyday of um the pre Harris Caesar's merger, Harris Tahoe was, you know, just it was the jewel of that company. And it was a beautiful, beautiful property. Um, you know, those properties up at the lake have, have gone downhill. Harris Reno, unbelievably downhill. Um, and then not to mention their Las Vegas properties. Um, you know, Laughlin, they have the Bellagio of Laughlin, Harris Laughlin. And that property is not nearly as nice as it used to be. Um, and, and showing a lot of signs of wear and tear and lack of upkeep. Um, I, I, I haven't been to the East Coast properties. Dave, you were there for the new tower at Harris Marina. But I know I look today, Harris numbers down huge in Atlantic City, down more than the rest of the market. Um, I got to figure that they're, you know, they're suffering from the same problems everywhere. And, you know, people are going to vote with their legs and their wallets. They're going to walk away and not gamble there. And the weird thing is, is that even under Gary Loveman's leadership a couple years ago, they still had this idea of treating the middle market gambler really nicely. I remember, I think it was back in 2000 or 2001, he gave a talk at G2E called something like Exploding Volcanoes versus Propeller Heads. It's basically his whole management philosophy of, you know, you have the bean counters figure out how to give back 
the optimum amount of stuff to people to get them to keep returning, and you don't bother building a big volcano outside your property because they'll become because they like the service and you give them good customer service. And it seems, you know, building the new towers at Caesars and, you know, building the big new tower at Harris Atlantic City, they've sort of gotten away from that and have tried to build these big edifices to attract people instead of just keeping their eye on the ball of the day-to-day customer service. I think you're right. Yeah. Customer service, though, I mean, I, of course, very important. But at the same time, some of those things, the exploding volcanoes, are part of what makes Las Vegas special and unique. And, I, you know, I can go to a Hilton with a craps table in uh, anywhere in the country pretty much these days, and it's just so boring. Um, the, the bean counter versus uh, <clears throat> showman kind of uh, philosophy uh, debate, uh, obviously not really resolvable, but uh, just two alternative theories about doing things. Personally, I think I'd come down more on the showman side of things. But, um, you know, see how things shake out. I'm going to get one more question in, um, and it's a question about transportation in the Las Vegas Valley. And this is from Art. And he says, are there still plans to extend the Las Vegas Vegas monorail to McCarran? I know the placement behind all the casinos was ill-advised, but I dig the monorail. Sadly, it seems more and more neglected each time I visit, which I assume is due to their cash woes. I also heard something about there being a contingency fund set aside to demolish the system if it could not support itself. Is this true? Why not let the RTC take it over? Seems incredibly wasteful to do something like that. Um, is that true? I actually had not heard that. Is there? A it is true. Fund? Really? There is a contingency fund to take. That they that they would use to tear it down if they weren't going to keep operating it. Now that doesn't make sense, and certainly some government entity would have the opportunity to take it over if they did go out of business. Um, you know, and as to why the extension's not happening, it's because you know they were originally probably counting on two things: casino companies kicking in money to extend it to the airport and maybe take it to the west side of the strip, and B, a credit market. Um, you know, there's no, you know, there's no credit market for really good borrowers. It's hard to call the monorail a prospective good borrower, you know. So, you know, I mean, they would make, they, they would, they probably have a tough time qualifying for subprime. They're about as sub as it gets, and uh, and you know, so the casino companies have no money to give them. So it's just a question of when. Um, it's it's a rebound thing if they can hang on um and you know they're going to be hurt by this declining convention business declining visitation to las vegas um but if the monorail can survive till the economy rebounds and las vegas rebounds there's a chance um but do i think that that'll happen i just have no idea i hope so i think the monorail is a great thing i think it alleviates congestion um, if you're staying on the east side of the strip and you're going to a convention at the convention center um, I think it's you know it's a, it's a it's a great way to get around that without having to deal with a traffic jam or pay taxi fares but um, no, you know I mean, when it when it comes to going to the convention center I think it's a, a huge huge win um, I mean I you know I've ridden it a few times I'll admit I don't ride it very often so maybe that says something um, but uh, it would be a real shame to see it go away, um, despite all of its difficulties. I mean, clearly their their projections were ludicrous. Um, when you know their projections of their ridership was were just insane. But it's it's there now, so you know. But I, it would be a real shame to see it shut down. But I, 
that story about the contingency fund is interesting. I, I actually did not know that. Anyway, um, I think that's it. We've got a good hour show. That was fun. Uh, as far as doing this again in the future, uh, it's uh, sort of up in the air whether it makes more sense to do a one or two questions a show or to sort of save them up for a questions show. Um, maybe I'll let uh, the listeners respond in the comments for this episode to uh, to voice their opinion about that. There's a couple different ways we could do it. Um, I, I would suggest, Hunter, I would suggest whenever readers have a question, they should just, you know, post it on your blog. I mean, post it someplace, you know, in a in another comment. It's, you know, you read them all, and if somebody has a good question, you know, ask it. I think that, you know, I, I thought that, you know, there were a lot of good questions, and I, I think it's sort of cool to do that. And, and, and you know, we had somebody who said that they wanted us to do a show about none of the, you know, trying to avoid the bad news. I think that's a good idea too. I mean, everything you know. I mean, we could, we could do a show talking about all the positive things for consumers in this environment. Um, you know, so I would just encourage folks who have ideas to you know get in the mix, write something down, and post it on your blog. And you know, let's uh, let's take a crack at it. Yeah, I agree completely, Jeff. Um, you know, I uh, am I love talking about the current events, but at the same time. Um, I, I, too, am suffering from bad news fatigue and would love to go off on some tangents. And uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to talk to um, you guys, which are some real experts, every other week. And, uh, you know, I would love to get some more input from the listeners. Um, and there's a couple of other, couple other ideas in the works to improve that. But, yeah, listeners, please write those comments. There, Jeff is right. I read every single one. And, um you know, that definitely can have a big impact on the way that the show goes. And before we sign off, I wanted to uh, mention something that I saw in Vegas tripping today. Um, Chuck actually was mentioning this earlier, and there, there's some new photos that he posted of the uh, Sands uh, Bethlehem Casino project, which um, was, as I was telling him earlier, is not is not a project I've seen a lot of photos of, which was interesting to kind of see its progress um, in, in, when it comes to the hotel, lack of progress. But uh, the casino is supposedly on its way to opening, and it's looking like it's sort of getting into the final stages. Um, you know, it's it's an important thing for Las Vegas fans, so I'm sure that listeners would be interested in checking it out. So you can go to VegasTripping.com to see those. Um, and I think that's going to be it for today. I want to thank everyone for being here, and I'm going to go around the table, and you guys can tell people where they can track you down. And Jeff Simpson, I'm going to start with you. Uh, if I'm not at a dice table at InBusinessLasVegas.com. Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people track you down? I will be at DiceCast.com. Excellent. And Mr. Chuck S. Monster, how about you? If I am not standing next to Jeff trying to palm his chips off the craps table, <laughs> I will be at VegasTripping.com. Most excellent. People can find me at ratevegas.com slash blog, and I want to say thanks to you all and have a great weekend. Thank you.